0: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. What's is that? That's the second time it's
1: gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those
2: I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand
1: that, can not you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain, in not team.
3: Second captain, first captain, whatever. Owen Murphy and Ken in the Irish Times Second Captains podcast studios here. Welcome. Welcome, w- lads. Welcome, welcome Listeners. Welcome, welcome to you both. If you're a recently retired club legend who now works in the media... I think we we all are aware of the time-honoured method for dealing with the awkward moments when your old team is underperforming so badly that you can't avoid criticising them. You're at that point where you have to say something negative about them. You mightn't really want to. What you're supposed to do is accept the performances aren't good enough, explain that the fans, would find it unacceptable, be very passionate about that, but then state clearly that there's nobody going to be hurting more than those lads in that dressing room. And that manager there, they're feeling it more than anyone else. They know what the club is all about, and they'll soon have insert name of club here, back playing the type of stuff that everyone connected to the club expects and demands. So we've all, we've all seen that a million times, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Paul Scholes didn't get the memo.
4: Boring. Neither did Alan Quinney Quinlan. Embarrassing,
1: disgraceful, yeah. humiliating.
3: Yeah, Quinlan there after Munster's embarrassing, humiliating. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing defeat against Stade Francais that knocked them out of Europe on Saturday night. Scholesy, that was his latest critique of Manchester United's boring style. Negative football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that background noise with Scalzi? There's the rain pelting down on his umbrella.
1: Oh. I think it'd be depressed. It took me two or three days to get over that performance.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he also said he'd have his the question there was, what would you be what would you be doing in the in the dressing room? Rallying the troops? And he said, No, i would have my head in my head between my knees okay. and it would take me two or three days to get over the performance. I think it was Jake Humphrey presenting, said, Well no, surely you should be rallying, a big rallying cry in the dressing room. Apparently not noting Paul Scalzi's um sort of career uh no. everything we know about Ye- Paul Scholes yeah I don't think he was the rallying up up about about six months ago. but even aside from that Scholes did say well no, just do it out in the pitch <laughs> <Yeah. At> that <laughs> that's point, what he yeah, should be doing it there right. yeah so what do you th- would you applaud these great players for their honesty or feel that loyalty to their club should override the frank and honest analysis they're providing
1: no I think it's I think it's good I mean yeah. I suppose the lo- loyalty to the club is conditional you don't really have loyalty to the club what is the club anyway you know uh, you have loyalty I suppose to certain people mm. And it's pretty obvious the postcards doesn't feel that towards U van Hal. I'm glad I don't have to go to Sheffield a week on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's looking on the bright side. Um, but yeah, it's a, he, he obviously thinks. Well, maybe, so.
5: the, maybe they are being loyal. Come on.
1: Loyal to the greater concept of Manchester United in the way that the Ulster uh, Unionists were loyal to the crown oh. by taking up arms against that same crown in order to prevent the crown doing something that the crown might later regret.
5: That's well. That's you've hit the nail on the head there, Ken. Hmm. A loyalty to you know the very idea upon which Munster Rugby and indeed Manchester United Football Club, previously Newton Heath, uh, was uh, was set up uh, to do on. And maybe it's Louis Van Hal who's being disloyal. Maybe it's the Munster Rugby players who are being disloyal. Maybe Alan Quillen's the last loyal man left. See, he
3: knows.
1: He knows on. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think it's good. I suppose the TV companies are at, l- at least getting their money's worth. Definitely out of skulls. Who is the most cantankerous pundit I've ever seen?
3: I mean, I don't know where he's going to go from here. Yeah, I'm just worried he how started far, off too high. How far does Grumpy get you? That's the issue. Uh, has he provided much, by the way, of tactical analysis at any point? Or is it's he a bit boring. more like, boring?
5: boring. The, <laughs> there there it is. The answer is, to your he, question. is
3: he quite like Roy Keane in a lot of ways in his punditry style? Which is to say, the odd flash of brilliance. Yeah. But largely, not a huge amount in in, in terms uh, of, of tactical... much better a talker issue. than Skulls, I think.
5: Yeah, i got to say, Paul Skulls, I is, haven't...
3: King's
1: got a lot more to say than skulls. In in terms of, I haven't heard Paul Skulls make an intentional joke yet. Have you?
3: No, he's not really a. Well, he did call one of his panelists a, was it a knobhead or something? Yeah. Um, but That's he didn't. Don't think that was on Fletcher's I don't think he, yeah. he realised he was being picked up. <laughs>
1: No, uh, I think I think Keane is probably all around more entertaining. I don't know if he's a better pundit. I don't. I think being a pundit, he's not very good at being a pundit. Keane. No, it's a pity because he's 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 good at just generally talking about. But stuff. you
3: take my comparison that if you showed a highlights reel of skulls or Keane punditry, you actually it wouldn't be bad. You could have a couple of, but uh, in Keane's case, maybe much more so. Actually, a few minutes of hilarity. But if you watch them on a regular basis you don't get a huge amount out of either of them. They both have the same basic way of talking about the game, and that is that you need to play at a high tempo, you need to be passionate, you need to show what Manchester United is all about. But neither of them have ever offered any real... Tactical insights into that, that I can remember into what Louis Van Gaal should really be. I'm, I'm talking about some sort of detail as opposed to the basic, well, you know, you've got to pass it quicker, you got to get it up to Rooney. That was Skulls' big thing. Get it up to Rooney, he's your best player, but he's not. Well, maybe he is, but if Rooney's your best player, if the current Wayne Rooney's your best player, that could be You're a adorable. part of the issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, Neville was, Neville's been more interesting, I think, you know, and Thierry Henry has been more interesting on what's wrong with him than than either Scholes or Keane, you know, from, uh, from that point of view. I mean, Keane is, is quite, uh, Keane used to criticise Man United quite harshly when they, you say, for instance, when they got knocked out in the group stage of the Champions League under Ferguson it was in 2011. Mm-hmm. He slammed them then He absolutely crucified a few of them then. Phil Jones, these kind of guys. That was kind of what set off the latest, you know, big kind of round of arguments between Ferguson and Keane was I think that little piece of punditry that he did. Ferguson referring to him derisively as a TV pundit. But since the, since Ferguson's gone I haven't noticed him being too harsh and I
3: mean well, he hasn't he, been around as well. He hasn't been doing as much punditry because well, he's involved he he, with Ireland.
1: Uh, he says he he doesn't do, what skulls is absolutely slaughtering Van Gaal week after week. Keen doesn't do that at all. And when Moyes is there he wasn't criticising No, he, No, no he always lays it on the players. Yeah. It's the players you know you can't blame the manager for that. Um so in that sense, you know, he seems to be because he's a manager now. You know what I mean? It's kind of it's the player's fault. But I don't know, he he, he feel maybe he feels like it's 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 not fair for a player of his status, you know, his past achievements I mentioned to be hacking away at a manager, you know, when he doesn't like these players anyway. <laughs> but I don't know, it's I don't know, and it's it's a complicated one.
5: And it is interesting to see that we're uh basically framing this discussion on how good or bad a pundit. Schools and but are are, uh, are on what they say on Man United because whatever about anything that I've heard from Paul Schools from a tactical viewpoint about Man United. I mean, I haven't heard anything. I don't think of any interest on tactical or otherwise on any other team. Well, remember
1: his first uh, appearance when he when he suddenly emerged, you know, from his silence.
3: First time many of he us had heard him speaking. <laughs> was this an Arsenal game?
1: Yeah, and he and he. Slaughtered Jack Wilshire. Oh yeah. He just, battered, yeah, he just yeah, yeah. battered Jack Wilshire <laughs> for like half an hour. He's like, oh he's you know, he hasn't come on at all. I mean he's he's just regressed. He's a he's a he's a failure. You know, pretty much was I don't know if he used the word failure about Wilshire, but that was the tenor of his comments. And I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this. Oh Wilshire, no, this is oh, this is hard to watch. Um that was that was interesting enough. But yeah. maybe it, it set a it set a high point which he hasn't hit too many times. Well you since.
3: are right though about when somebody is so connected to a club, particularly somebody like Scholes at Manchester United, where it's so clear mm. who and Quinn with Munster, similarly, when if Quinn and something at Leinster, I don't know if I am as interested as when he's talking about Munster, particularly after, after a match like that, where you're thinking, well, well, there's no way around this. You're going to have to criticize your friend, Anthony Fodi, which he did. Albeit, I think he was probably having to go with the the, the bosses, really, which is quite mm. interesting, actually, as much as anyone else saying that this whole thing is. A bit of a disgrace at the moment that has to be looked at from top to bottom. So it's, it's interesting stuff from both of them. Kudos to Quinlan and Skulls here. It does take a bit of fire in the belly to have a pop at the clubs close to your heart. But those guys have nothing on Yaya Torre, lads. Yaya has taken aim at an entire continent, <laughs> his own continent of Africa. I think this is what brings shame to Africa because acting this way is indecent. But what can we do about it? Us Africans, we don't show that Africa is important in our eyes. We favour more what's abroad than our own continent. That is pathetic. Very strong words, very socially conscious words, you could argue. The cause of Tory's disgust, Ken? He was overlooked for the African Player of the Year award. Mm. <laughs> so amazing words, and in other contexts, uh, fascinating. Mm. In, in this particular context, somewhat self-serving, you could, you could argue. Well, somewhat,
1: uh, to some degree. I mean, I was really surprised by this. I mean, it's, it's always amazing when, when people do this sort of thing, that they, when they don't realise how bad it makes them look. <laughs> However bad they feel... Is it worth expressing that, and then being made to look really bad in front of everyone? Everyone will just be be thinking,
3: "Why have you done
1: this?" Uh, it's it's graceless. It's- his, yeah, his
3: argument is well. I'm honest. I'm going to be asked about this back in. It was what was the strange part of the quote? He said, "I'm going to be asked about this back in Europe." I'm not sure if he really was going to be asked that much, actually, about being overlooked for the African Player of the Year award. And I'm so uh, I'm so honest that I'm going to have to give them an honest answer. So it was as though he was teeing up future interviews. Which can in no way match up really to take the, take what he actually... Yeah, yeah, he just took the gloves off as he was prepping. I'd, I'd like to see when he really starts telling the truth. Mm.
1: Yaya will take care of Yaya and let Africa take care of itself.
3: <laughs> Is that what so, he's saying?
1: Yeah, a lonely African continent.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how you get out without me, entire continent <laughs> uh, of Africa.
1: You can't take care of Africa too much because Africa will be the first to let you down, <laughs> says Yaya race. <Torres. laughs>
3: <laughs> but Ken, great topic. Who to talk to about it, though?
6: Coach, you wanted victory. This is the game you wanted victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Well, I wanted victory. I want victory for every game, but today's game, uh, this is for football. You look frustrated on the pitch. You look frustrated on the pitch during the play. There, where did you? Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
3: Ah, yes, our old friend Oluwashina Okaleji there, who covers African football for the BBC. Never afraid to ask the hard questions, so we're going to put a few questions to him in a little while. But let's get into Munster now. Anthony Foley, post-match, said it's not about results. Well, it is about results, indeed, is what he said. (laughs) So quite the opposite of my initial statement there. It is about results, said Foley. And I said it before, and I'm clear on it. If I don't feel I can get results, there's no point in being here. I've been brought up through here. I've been here a long time. I've come through the schools and everything. So it's about winning. It's not about people. It's about getting results. Matt Williams and Jerry Thornley join me now. Jerry, you were actually at that press conference where Foley was speaking. So maybe you're in a better position to interpret his words and his demeanour. Because it sounds to me like maybe he wants out.
7: I'm not so sure on that he necessarily wants out. What it would be fair to say that in the immediate aftermath of a defeat like that, when he's at emotionally a very, very low ebb, he was certainly considering his position, considering whether he is the right man for the job. Himself and Gareth Fitzgerald have reputedly, I've heard, agreed on a, exercising the option of another year in his contract Um, But in the immediate aftermath of that defeat, um, he certainly wasn't of a mind to sign that new contract extension now. And I would imagine he's probably going to use the next couple of weeks, maybe the next couple of months, maybe the rest of the season, to certainly consider his position. Um, I think he still is committed to the job 100% and wants to do it. But um, in the the light of a second-half performance like that, especially against 14 men and the the kind of way the heads dropped, the way that the lack of composure and the, the, the general malaise that swept through the performance and the humiliating nature of the eg- exit. He is um, certainly questioning his own position. There's no doubt about
3: that. It's actually somewhat painful to watch him now in these post-match, even on the TV interview. It, it, obviously, he's in a position like any coach. There's not much to say, really. You, you can't. You can't be too honest, and yet you can't. It's impossible to hide your emotions, particularly for Foley. Is there an argument here? You had a bit of time with him during the week, so you had an interview when he was in a bit more of a considered mood. Even during that, did you get the sense that this is? I don't know if too much of him is the right word, but that he's too connected to the whole thing. He's managing his province at a time, a very difficult time for anyone to manage them, and maybe he's struggling emotionally with that.
7: I think it's all consuming, um, a little like Eric Elwood in Galway. There is no escape. for Anthony Foley he's a product of St Munchens and Shannon and Munster themselves. He's been in the setup for twenty-one years. You could argue he's been in the setup all his life. So he must have been about five or six years of age, if not even younger, when his father first brought him into the Shannon and Munster dressing room. So, and he lives amongst them in Killaloo. And while that's a lovely area to grow up in and live in, and he says it offers him plenty of respite from uh, all things Munster. It, one would imagine, and Matt would know this so well as a coach, that uh, it bec- the job becomes even more all-consuming in the light of defeats such as this and an exit such as this for the second year running. Um... I would imagine it's very difficult for him to sleep. It's very difficult for him to stop thinking about it. It's all-consuming for him and the other coaches. But ultimately, he carries the can more than anybody else. And uh, he's, he's under huge pressure at the moment, uh, largely of his own making and those of the results, obviously, as well.
3: Matt, how much of Saturday's non-performance would you pin on the coach and how much on the players?
8: Well, I would put the vast majority on the players. Um, you know, I've, I went to Munster training when I was... Uh, during the World Cup, when I went down to uh, Cork, and Anthony was very kind and allowed me to watch training, and it was exceptionally well run. And uh, the, the coaching staff, the whole the whole staff there were fantastic, did a fantastic job, and I was very impressed with with what he was putting together in the process. But when you watch the game and players just fall off tackles, who's responsible for that? It's the player. So that the defensive system puts the player. At, at the uh, at the area, the players got to make the tackle, and especially away from home, especially in, in Paris area, Stade Montaigne, you know, it, it's it's a tough place to go, and tell you what, it's a horrid place to go if you're not going to tackle, and a lot of guys there just miss tackles, and, and that's not that's not fault. He'll feel it. He's a young coach. He's only only you know moving into a couple of years at the top. He's passionate about the joint, as we've said, and and that makes it very hard on him. Um, ultimately, whether I say it's the players or not, the, the coach carries the can. But I think there's boys in those, in those red jerseys that missed the tackles. They've got to start looking at themselves and say, well, that's not acceptable. And I'm pretty certain, knowing months of the way I do, that behind closed doors, that's going to get said. And it needs to get said. And they need to respond this week. You know, I, I don't know if they can beat Stade Francais. It's a very good side, Stade Francais, and Munster. You know, they they, they lost uh, Conway, they lost O'Donnell, they lost BJ Bothra, all in the first twenty minutes. That knocks the team round, and they're three quality players. So there's a lot of reasons, but but there's no reason to miss a tackle. The tackles they did, they made a good side look a lot better than they were.
3: Alan Quinlan made the same point in pretty strong terms on Sky, Matt. I don't know if if you came across this, but he called it embarrassing, disgraceful, humiliating. Guys falling off tackles, no desire, no shape. It's very distressing to watch. Borderline disgraceful. Disgraceful might be a bit strong, although he'd already used the the term disgraceful uh, by that point. I did notice this, and he's not the only former Munster player to react quite emotionally to this. It seems, is it a pretty bad sign when your former legendary players who generally will be on your side are starting to turn against you? Is there any coming back from that?
8: It's very distressing for the players uh, and for the rugby community when, when the team gets under siege because they feel they can't turn to anyone, they can't turn to their own community. And when guys, you know, that, that have worn the jersey with such uh, uh, success and passion as, as Quinny uh, start criticising, it's very, very hard. And it'll be hard for Quinny to, to keep that relationship with it. He, he doesn't need that anymore. He's moved on. He, he, he's, a, he's a media man now. So he's saying things that he feels, but it, it will be very hard for the players and very hard for, for the relationship within that group. But you, you do have to say... You know, this is not the Munster team. And with greatest respect to the players that I watched train and they were very professional, did their best. You know, that, that Munster team that Quinney played with and when everyone was there, that was a great side. There's no, there is no moving around. That's one of the best sides I've seen coaching in 25 years. You know, along with the great Auckland side of the late 90s. That's a fantastic side. As Leinster was when they won the European Cup. And neither Leinster or Munster, the current sides, are a patch on those sides. And they just don't have the talent. And you not, I think everyone in Ireland too has to come to the realisation that we're not going to walk into the Champions League like we did 10 years ago, seven years ago in the Heineken Cup and win. It's just not going to happen. It, it, there is more of a – the advantage that Ireland had is now gone and that advantage has shifted towards the French sides in particular. So that's just the reality. If, if we want to blame someone, and that tends to be society, I don't agree with it. We want, it's, it's a football thing. We've got to blame the manager. We've got to blame the coach. Anthony's getting blamed that I don't, uh, I don't really believe that the, the whole debacle that we saw the other day sits at, at Anthony's feet. it's Boys have got a responsibility to make the tackles, kick the goals, get your structures right. The structures were coached. I saw them coached. They've got to get those right.
3: Jerry, why do you think it is this particular game has impacted people uh, on an emotional level more so than a lot of the other poor performances this year?
7: because this was Munster's litmus test for the season. This is the one they'd invested hugely in. They'd described it as the game of the season for themselves. There are European rep, uh, qualification hopes, and with it, much of their reputation was on the line. It followed a rather tame exit in Saracens last year. And then it was just the sheer scale of it, the way the, the confidence just fell away, the way the heads dropped, the way panic set in, the lack of composure in the second half. If you look back at the game, they went into it in a pretty good place mentally, to a degree, in the sense that they were well enough prepared to go toe-to-toe and score this French side away from home for the first 30 minutes, which is generally the platform for Munster victories. Um, I think that the the biggest single factor probably and has been for the last 18 months is the number 10 position uh, since Ronald Gard left a huge void as big as Paul O'Connell has left in second row losing JJ Hanron haunts Anthony Foley in the Munster organisation still and then Ian Keatley has completely lost his form this season and Tyler Blahendahl came over with a bad neck injury and hasn't developed into the player that they thought he would become but in any event when Keatley addressed that first penalty at nil all it was a big moment in the match given recent history given what happened to Keatley at home to Leicester and away to Leicester and he missed. And then he had another chance, a difficult kick at 10-0 just after the red card to the star winger. And even 10-3, whatever about 10-6, but 10-3 against 14 men. Psychologically, I think that would have made a big difference. When a team knows that they've got a, a problem with their goal kicker, whose own confidence then dips alarmingly when he misses clutch kicks like that, they start forcing things from inside the 22, and you've got Simon Devo and Keith Earls and Francis Seeley chucking the ball around like it's a hand grenade at 13 0 down. And so they start playing catch up way too prematurely, and their last chance went with the Scannell try, disallowed the corner. But yeah, then it was the way that they just fell off tackles, the way that heads dropped. This was not Munster. This is not what Munster have traditionally brought to Europe. This was like a step back to the bad old days, the mid 90s, um, and shipping 50 points in Toulouse. This was, it became embarrassing, and I think that's why it hurt so much.
3: Matt, Matt, there's a quote that Jerry reported from CJ Stander after the game, which I thought was extraordinary. He said, at halftime, the new opportunity knocked against 14 men. This is CJ Stander's quote. We talked about it. We said to ourselves, we've got to go out and pick up the pace. But we didn't do that. We were walking to lineouts, which is an incredible uh, thing to admit from the captain of the team that the, at that very basic level, just the idea of injecting a bit of intensity into the game, which they agreed to do at half time, they end up going out there and walking, strolling towards lineouts. I found that fl- I was flabbergasted by that.
8: It, it is a pretty staggering statement, and um, you know I, I take my hat off to CJ for being so honest. Um, sometimes you don't like to air the uh, dirty laundry there in public, and there's a but he, he was putting his hand up and pointing the finger at some of his fellow players, and he wasn't pointing the finger at, at his coach. He was supporting his coach. He's saying we knew what to do. We spoke about doing it. So who does it? And, um, you know, I, I think uh, that type of leadership um, is, ve- is very uh, needed, much needed at, at this juncture in, an, in this Munster team when you've got a team that's struggling. B- because it's all the things that Jerry said. Munster in the old days were not that talented. I mean, they're a great side, but my God, they're a hard men. They're tough guys. You know, there's one thing you're coming as Munster, you knew what you were in for. And if you didn't match it mentally with them, they, they would kill you. They'd rip you apart because they were ruthless and they lacked that ruthlessness. Now, I, I've lost a couple of games at that stadium myself. You know, it's not an easy place to go. But if you turn up and you've got a weakness in your attitude or if you've got a weakness in your mental approach that came from the players, as Jerry said, the first half was pretty good, and then you've got 14 men down. You know, sometimes this happens with a team where they just, okay, they've, they've got a guy down. We're just going to win this game. I and mean, We did it two months to many years ago and I had Leinster in the first Celtic League final. But that happened there. They, they lost it mentally and, you know, the, the captain stands up and is honest and truthful. That's a start. That's the basis. If you're dishonest, you, then you're still, you're still the alcoholic that's drinking. They've got a problem and they fronted it up. So we, we'll see if that's, that's – they, they don't have the talent and I agree with Jerry, and I feel very sorry for Keatley. I don't like saying bad things about players – but again if you unless you're kicking 85% in your team you're not going to win in Europe you just got to be kicking those goals that's the reality and that's his job he's got to step up and take it and when he didn't the rest of his game didn't totally fall apart but he, he lost confidence in himself and uh, you know I feel sorry for the young man
3: What sort of an impact is this going to have Matt you think on the chances the Irish chances of Simon Zeebo Keith Earls these kind of players uh, JJ Hanron was quoted over the weekend about his move to Northampton and he said that he actually feels that if anything that's going to improve his chances of playing for Ireland he wasn't getting a look in anyway so uh, he d- doesn't see the argument that he's, he's got to be out of sight out of mind guys like Zeebo and Earls they can't be benefiting from being in that team when it comes to what Joe Schmidt has seen from them at the weekend?
8: Well, I think they should ring Bobby Casey, who's now the CEO at uh, London Irish, because Bobby left and never got a look in. <laughs> and he should have played a lot more tests than he did. Bobby was a very good player. So, look, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, 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 you know, um, young Henry Hansen entitled to his opinion, and that's his career, and you've got to manage a career. Madigan's going. And again, when you're not getting game time, you can understand it. But you know, they still Ireland look after their players better than anyone. They still keep their their internationals in very good stead, but they've lost these great players, Munster and Leinster in particular have lost these these once in a lifetime players, and you're not going to fill that void quickly. You're not going to fill Ronan O'Gara's void quickly, a Driscoll's void. You're not going to fill and and obviously Paul's void. That, that, that's just not. Don't try it. It's not going to happen. It might take ten years to get someone of that that caliber. So they just have to deal with it. Look, I, and I've got to say, you know, Earls is a good player, but Simon Zubo's, you, you know, he missed a very bad tackle on the weekend. You know, look, that, that's if, – if I'm over there in uh, uh, director sportif of one of the big top 14 sides in uh, in France, I'm mm-hmm. going to go, well, mate, you better be making those tackles better than that before I give you a lot of money to come here. You, you've got to make your tackles. And these guys have got to stop dodging the bullet, dodging the reality and standing there and saying, well, this is what we've got to do. And if guys want to go, guys will go. But you're better to go out with 15 guys that are totally committed and, and want to be there than some guys who don't. And we only have to look at some of these, you know, Johnny Kelly, from the, the, the wonderful Munster player from the past. Johnny was not the most talented guy. I coached him in Ireland. He's a wonderful bloke. But Johnny Kelly gave you everything he had every single game. And that's all these guys have got to do. And that was the disappointing part. That's what Quinny was talking about. They looked like, and and I know it's easy from the cheap seats, but they looked like they weren't giving it everything. And and they they probably were, but the the view that everyone got was they weren't. And they've got a they've, the the only good thing they've got going. They've got a, a chance this weekend to rectify that.
3: Yep. Jerry Ulster managed to rectify their own mistakes maybe their own mistakes in selection in the second half yes the unbelievable stuff this you a busy weekend you're at this game um i guess now they they feel a lot better about themselves than they would have if they'd pro- probably even if they'd gotten won by 7 or 10 points in more of a, a standard type of game
7: yes and no i think probably yes they they Proving to themselves that they have it within them to come back from a whole largely of their own making. Um, but uh, you'd feel sorry for the three lads that were taken off because, you know, uh, Paul Marshall is a good little scrum half and Ian Humphrey they don't scrummage. And there was something wrong with the mindset at scrum time. The one thing you don't give a French side, any French side, even a second string, second last team in the top 14, which, which doesn't have a highly rated scrum in France, you do not give them an edge there. They and home team alike just feed into it and draw so much energy from it. And um, you know, whatever at half time they bring on uh Piena and Jackson. I think what it proves is they just aren't the same team without them. That Oinax's strength and depth is actually better than Ulster's, but they were both without their first-choice team, Than Ulster are unquestionably better. And they have a huge dependence and reliance on Pienaar and Jackson, playing superb rugby at the moment with McCluskey and Marshall. It's just quite a quartet they've got going. They do have some strength and depth in midfield, but they don't have the strength and depth at half-back that perhaps they'd like. That being said, Marshall came on and effectively won the match away to Connor over the festive period when Pienaar wasn't going well. But it was a change in mindset as much as anything else and they stopped playing behind the game line. Um, Jackson took the ball to the line but McCloskey had a superb second half. When he gets any chance to take the ball forward he's almost uncontainable. He's been the form 12 in Irish rugby this season and it'd be interesting what Joe Schmidt does with him because he really was a sensation again. So was Rory Scholes in the wing and they proved that they could come back but it also perhaps proved that they don't have the strength and depth they'd like to think they have.
3: What do you think about that, Matt? That maybe this did expose while they might feel reasonably good about themselves this morning it did expose some frailties?
8: I definitely, um, you know, that's, that's one of those days you get on the plane coming home and you go, wow, how did we get that one? That is a steal. To be that many points down at half time and then to come back and win is, is extraordinary. The, the, the big plus is they came back and won. They did win. They did. Mo- and it's exactly what, what Anthony Foley said in his, in his press conference it's about results, and Les Kiss got got them, and Anthony didn't. So they're on the plane. They had a win. Some good young guys coming through that Ulster uh, system. Some some fine young players coming through there, and they're putting in some some reasonably good performances. Um, very very interesting with the Six Nations uh, looming, especially across that three-quarter line that that uh, they, that Ireland need some form of new thinking on and some of those young guys really put their hand up in that second half it was um it was some fine performances from from uh, some homegrown boys up there so it was, it was very good
3: are you expecting big things from les kiss now that he's emerging from joe schmidt's shadow
8: it's a, it's a tough one i was very surprised when when les took it on and i and, and i was also surprised he was offered it um, we seem to be very, very uh, generous to rugby league people and rugby league are very, very ungenerous to rugby people. There's not a lot of gigs going for rugby guys in rugby league. And look, and Les has, has made a, a, great, a great fist of it being a fantastic rugby league player and he's moved through and learned a lot and um, he'll, um, he'll, he'll take a lot of that knowledge into, uh, into Ulster. I'm certainly hoping to see Ulster Return and play some really positive attacking rugby uh, with Les and and, and Dakey. Neil Dake's a very good young coach up there, and uh, I, I certainly hope that they can they can get that ball movement and the carrying that uh, Les would be so familiar with into Ulster rugby. I'm
3: surprised you you have so many reservations, though, Matt. This is a guy who's been an excellent, particularly an excellent defence coach for Ireland. I think we uh, I think Ireland have conceded the least amount of tries. Of Tier One nations in his time in charge, I read something along those lines. I maybe should be more certain on my stats before I read it. But certainly, he's done very well for us in that. So is this not the natural progression to take over one of the provinces?
8: Well, I think first of all, Les is a fine man, a fine coach. He's a guy that I've law respect for, and I know well. And I don't want to be speaking against him. I don't. I don't mean that at all. Um, and he's done an excellent job with the Irish defence and the, the Six Nations. The last two Six Nations wins are uh, uh, victories were built on defence. They were built on defence, not, not on attack. Our, our, our attack has been poor. I would have liked to have seen Les show that he can produce and create space. Shutting down space through defence is is the easiest part of the game. Creating space and using it is the most difficult. And as a head coach, as the guy at the top, that's what you got to do. You've got to look at a defensive system and say, how are we going to, how are we going to create space there and use it? And then, and then the easy part is saying, "Well, let's shut them down." That you know, defending. To attacking is is uh, miles apart. It's much much harder. And Les hasn't got a massive amount of that on his CV. And, and to go right into that top job, yeah, I was quite surprised because also you're in the contracting role, you're in meetings, you're in. There's a lot of other other baggage that comes with being the top dog than just uh, what you see on Saturday afternoons.
3: Just, just last quick word based on your comment about rugby league, people there are you? Were you? Do you feel that Andy Farrell's done rather well to get the gig that he got last week?
8: Oh mate. He's done exceptionally well, hasn't he? Good luck to him. You know, I've know, I met Andy a couple of times. He's a very nice guy, fantastic rugby league player. But, mate, he, uh, he should go out and buy one of those uh, Euro Millions tickets as well because his right. luck might keep running. He's done very well.
3: All right, we'll leave it there. Matt, bring stuff. Jerry, thank you.
8: Cheers. Thanks, thanks you. mate. All right. That's good manners players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder
1: did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely no 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 obviously
2: none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question (laughs) (laughs) we
1: want to win football matches does not entertain you know some sort of animal you know what I mean and you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been
3: major progress. And we want to win football matches. Yeah, I'm just double-checking that Les Kiss statistic. I haven't gone totally nuts here. Uh, this was in a piece with Brendan Fanning. Brendan Fanning, good interview yesterday in the Sunny Independent with Les Kiss. Uh, and it was Fanny who said that in seven years with Ireland, 82 tests, Ireland were the best in tier one for a concession of tries. So that, that seems to be worldwide as opposed to the simply in Europe, which is pretty pretty impressive stuff. Simon Math um, in particular was laying off Anthony Foley and placing the blame largely on the players.
4: Yeah, I thought Jerry too. I thought they both. And Jerry said the same to us last week. He was pretty much saying Foley deserves an extension. And that is kind of the tone of a lot of the punditry since the Munster game, which I find interesting. Um, I think Foley, he he speaks quite honestly. I mean, he didn't he didn't need to admit any guilt or discuss his job. Now, I know a lot of it's emotional, it's post-match stuff, but I think a colder individual or maybe somebody who's in the job longer or somebody who's more distant from the position he's in, he just loves Munster so much, uh, he didn't need to reveal anything. And maybe that encourages some sympathy, I suppose, but the reality is he's in the middle of a second season and they're worse than when he took over. Now, I think their problems, I think you could name 10 problems Munster have genuinely and Foley is probably only a 10th of them. And it's probably but, but he, isn't, individually. Problems, he isn't doing a good job. I don't think anybody could say he's, no. he, he's getting the most. Like For all the talk about talent and lack of depth, they still have quite a few good players and, and those players are playing worse under them than they did a couple of years ago. And Penny got way more flack and oh, admittedly, yeah, at times, their, their their style of play was so definitively not what Munster were doing before. It was easy to attack Penny. But when you look at that in retro, retrospect, yeah, Penny was doing okay. It's
3: also easier to... I always thought the criticism of Penny was was over the top. The top. I think it's, all, it's always easier to criticise. And not just to criticise a foreign coach, but to use starker terms. A lot of the way... I've noticed this, the way people talk about Anthony Foley is that he... In a way, he's nearly been let down, or Munster have been let down by the by their union or by the IRFU. That Foley's almost been put in this position. It's almost like a Steve Staunton situation, where the poor fella's been put in here with very little resources, with an inexperienced backup team. What's he supposed to do? Uh, there, there seems to be an element of that. Whereas, and so therefore, people are focusing on that as opposed to saying he's doing a bad job. Whereas with Penny, nobody knew him. They could just they could just kind of clearly have a pop at him but it was interesting that Matt was saying that the coaching sessions are top class there he said he's been down there he's seen it that clearly isn't being brought into games and I was watching Shane Horgan on Sky last night where Quinlan was focusing on the passion and the fire and saying that that wasn't there Shane Horgan said look it's more about the the game plan isn't there that there's no the, they're not adventurous enough and the direction isn't being given from above for the team to play in any sort of intelligent way
4: well, so uh, CJ Standard yeah. as well touched on that idea that we're doing it in the training sessions and we're not doing it on the field but I don't know how much to read into one training session that Maddie was at or what CJ Stander is saying. But like, I don't know about questioning a professional player's passion. I always feel like surely those guys can't be any more motivated to play well against Dodd-Francet. This is kind of their last game of the season if they lose it. Um, I mean, they've had enough warnings. It's not as if, oh, let's oh, lick let our wounds go off and respond to this defeat against uh, from Stade Francais. They've had loads of warnings. They lost, what was it, six in a row in the, in the Pro 12. They lost to Leicester twice in a row with the same sort of errors. I don't think there's any more lessons to be absorbed and for Munster to go away now and have a rethink. I think they're kind of out of ideas and... Even, you're reading too much into body language and expressions on people's faces, but Anthony Foley, when he was being asked by Sky afterwards, he kind of looked like he was out of ideas, and I think that's where those quotes came from about him questioning the future, his future in the job.
5: Yeah, I, I think the motivation thing is, is interesting, though, because, I mean, I, I don't think you start off at zero every week and then, you know, you build it up to 100. Like, there's so many external factors outside of just motivation or, you know, this idea of you know, the passion, we need... Uh, see the old monster passion i mean i think that's predicated on a lot of things being right i mean uh take any workplace experience you know you are as motivated as you can be given the restraints of right if i see everyone else working as hard as me then i'm going to be that's that's an extra motivation to improve my performance if i think that the people above me or below me Aren't fit to do their job. That's that impacts on people's motivation, and that's what you're talking about—passion. I mean, it's not like you turn, you flick a switch, and say, "Right, well, I'm a Munster player, so I, I'm going to care, you know, one hundred, one hundred percent about Munster, and it doesn't matter what's going on in the organisation. That like I'm going to bring that, regardless. It pe- people's minds don't work like that. And I mean, if you if you're looking around the organisation above you, below you, and you're seeing incompetence, then obviously that's going to affect how you play and whether that comes across as passion or motivation or cluelessness or running to a line out as opposed to walking to a line out all of that it is actually all mixed up together They aren't four separate categories of performance one of which is passion no but I, I I
4: think technical errors and draining of confidence can sometimes come across in rugby like lack of passion I think you know guys falling off tackles that can be technique as well, and it looks like a guy hasn't probably put his passion into it or his shoulder through the through the guy who's running at him. Yeah, I think I think technical things can sometimes manifest themselves as as looking like a player's head isn't in the game.
3: Conor McGregor showed his passion over the weekend, Ken, blasting Floyd Mayweather. So Mayweather suggested some double standards at play in the lauding of McGregor for mm. the same type of brashness for which Mayweather is regularly pilloried. Floyd decided that, as he often does, decided this it was evidence that racism still exists, that racist, that because he's a black man, presumably, uh, he is, is pilloried for this kind of thing, whereas the white McGregor doesn't have any such negative, uh, negative issues. McGregor says, Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, don't ever bring race into my success again. I'm an Irishman. My people have been oppressed our entire existence and still very much are. I understand the feeling of injustice. It is a feeling that is deep in my blood. In my family's long history of warfare, there was a time where just having the name McGregor was punishable by death. What do you think of that?
1: Uh, well, uh, there are bits that are true and bits that aren't.
3: Well, we have been oppressed in the past, us Irish.
1: Often by people called McGregor. Uh, <laughs> How'd you be? Uh, well, it's it's mainly a Scottish name, you know? The jocks. Who's the most famous MacGregor that you can think of? God. Who's the most famous McGregor that's been played by Liam Neeson? In a movie.
5: Oh, um, Rob Roy.
1: Rob Roy McGregor. Um, he was. I mean, a,
2: I'm fucking <laughs> reaching.
1: <laughs> he was a uh, one of the forebears of, of Conor McGregor. Now, I suppose you know, what he says about there was a time when the name McGregor was punishable by death, that is true. In, in Scotland, never in Ireland. The McGregors were never an oppressed people in Ireland. As to. Um, the you know how they found out across the world. If you look at the name McGregor uh, and its distribution around the world, you see that it maps pretty closely onto the territories of the former British Empire. Um, so Canada, um, South Africa, Australia, United States, and uh, they owned, uh, it turns out, slaves in a lot of those countries. <laughs> um, check out at Limerick nineteen fourteen on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, And he will set you straight on a couple of those issues. But I mean, the the weird thing about it all is that uh, Floyd Mayweather wasn't really even talking about Conor McGregor at all. He was just talking about, he was talking about himself. And he was talking about what he sees as a racist attitude in America. McGregor just sort of came up almost as an example he said, oh, you know, I haven't seen this guy. He didn't even really... He didn't say much about him.
3: He didn't know who he was. He says... He I, says I he didn't know who he was. Yeah, I'm sure he one, of, I'm sure one of my backroom serious. team told me about this McGregor guy. It sounds like he gets away with, with all this
1: Yeah, stuff. I mean, but it wasn't anything... It wasn't anything particularly about McGregor. McGregor then sort of, you know, jumps on this with like a, you know, a calling you out Floyd Mayweather thing. So who's looking for the attention there? You know what I mean? It's it's like Floyd, I don't think, was looking for that at all. He was, he was talking about himself. He was... Uh, McGregor just sort of came up and, and McGregor's saying I mean McGregor maybe maybe he thinks he can actually make this fight against Floyd Mayweather happen somewhere I mean I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if Floyd Mayweather would agree to fight him on an 80-20 split as he suggested but uh, maybe if that's just your starting point for negotiation you could end up uh, with a fight who knows
3: when you're done with this podcast you've got three options as far as I see it option one just put the phone down whatever, whatever device you're using to listen just go about the rest of your daily business as usual option two explore the vast and limitless world of podcasting to find some new program out there that might suit your needs and nah. desires but I would say option three I'd say this is the best option stick with what you know and take a listen to today's Irish Times Second Calls Football ah, Second Catholic Football Podcast it's, Screw it yeah. up.
2: They have asked for that really yeah, You can laugh I'm a little bit of an
5: idealist but having said that I want to be like me
1: I
2: don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I'd say it to you I well, now. down and we them.
1: What you're doing down here? You're shorty, man? <laughs> well, Owen, what we're going to do is talk through every one of the 80 goals that were scored in the FA Cup over the weekend. It's never been done before. <laughs> it may never be done again. It's never been done before because it's so obviously a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. But it was your idea, Owen, and for that reason. For that reason, I
5: said, "Absolutely, let's let's try this."
3: Partly, Alan Pollock's idea, one of our listeners as well. I should say.
5: Oh, and so it begins—the <laughs> <laughs> distancing. Uh, if you heard the podcast, you probably have an idea why you'd do that. But anyway, yeah.
3: Now
1: we, so we're gonna, we we've done that. That's done.
5: That's been done.
1: Yeah. Was
3: not edited out. I haven't seen the editing process yet.
5: But I don't know. I,
1: th- I think it's I think it's mostly it's, it's mostly so ADFA yeah, okay. Cup girls plus, you know, Dan, Ballandor or whatnot.
3: Yayatore is not a man to ignore personal insults either, actual real life insults or just the ones concocted in his own head. But even by his standards, the reaction to being overlooked as the African player of the year was fairly stunning. We've got our friend Aloashina Okaleji on this one. Alohashina, great to talk to you again. First of all, thanks for chatting.
6: Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be back here. Uh,
3: the topic of the conversation is Yaya Tore, uh, a man going for a fifth successive African Player of the Year award. We all know it didn't happen for him, and he wasn't very happy. Uh, he says that what happened, uh, i.e., him not winning the competition or not winning the award, brings shame to Africa, which is a pretty big statement. What has the reaction in Africa been?
6: Well. People have been quite disappointed. Um, Yaya Toure's comment came at the back of um, an award night that everyone thought the focus would be on the winner, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Instead, everyone's focused on talking about Yaya Toure and his petulant attitude and everything that he has to do. He's a grown-up man, but he cried like a little baby, um, even though we didn't didn't see him shed tears. But this was a man who's won four successive um, African awards, like you pointed out earlier. But well, it's just a big shame. Fans have been um questioning the motive behind his um decision to come out gun blazing and saying that um winning the African Cup of Nations should be enough to grant him that award on the basis of that. But Yaya is someone who doesn't have record on his side, he's not keeping um tabs with records in his head. That's why he's been he's come out to say that fans have been disappointed, officials have come out to criticize his attitude and his comments. A lot of people have been pretty upset by the reaction of Yaya Toure.
3: What do you mean there, Olochini? You said that Yaya has obviously forgotten previous records. He's maybe forgotten his own history here. What do you mean by that?
6: Well, basically, um, Yaya Toure's comment um, at the back of that award was that um, the continent respects somebody's achievements outside of the continent, meaning Obama Young was only outstanding at club level with, um, Pierre, uh, with Borussia Dortmund because he was outstanding in the year 2015, saying E Yaya Toure, should have won because... He won the African Cup of Nations with Ivory Coast. He didn't have a great tournament in 2015, but he was the captain that led the Ivorians to um, a, a, a fourth title in 23 years. But the record shows that in 2011, when Yaya Toure won his, the first of his four successive African award, we didn't have an African Cup of Nations tournament. He was only rewarded at the back of a good season with City when he scored in the winner in the FA Cup semi-final victory over Man United and in the final against Stoke City, ending the club's um, 35-year wait for a major trophy. That year, he beat Seyedou Keita and Andrea Yu, who had a similar successive um season in Spain as well as in France. A year later in England Yaya Toure won because um why? Because he led um Man City to the title. You know, and yeah we have Didi Drogba who had led Ch- Chelsea to the Champions League and FA Cup in 2012. You know, Yayature just talks. He he tends to forget all of this. All of these previous records were all done because he did very well at club level. In 2013, John Mikel will be of Chelsea and Nigeria. He was outstanding for Nigeria when they won the 2013 African Cup of Nations and was the in fact was the outstanding performer for Nigeria in that tournament. But guess what? Yaya Toure won that tournament, even though Ivory Coast exited that tournament in the quarterfinal stage, where Yaya Toure was just not at the tournament at all, in my opinion, because he didn't show up. He played, but he didn't show up. He didn't see that um, Yaya Toure that we all know from the English Premier League. So, consecutively, he's won that award at the back of his own success at club level, not for country. Now... Is blaming everyone but himself that he should have won simply because, what? he's Yaya Toure, he won the African Cup of Nations, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang shouldn't have won because he didn't win the African Cup of Nations. That's what I meant when I said he doesn't keep record. He tends to forget that he succeeded in winning this competition at the back of a successful campaign with his club side instead.
1: When Yaya Toure says something like, uh, us Africans, we don't show that Africa is important in our eyes, is he... Uh, kind of playing on some sensitivities there. Is he is he jabbing at any raw nerves when he says something like that?
6: Absolutely. Um yeah Toure um has enjoyed um support from fans when he keeps saying, look I'm Yaya Toure. I've done very well. It's because of the color of my skin that people don't uh, people don't respect me more than they should. Africans backed him up thinking, okay, um, I mean, there's, there seems to be a supremacy war against Yaya Toure. He's not getting that achievement. He's not getting the um, musical. He's not getting the praises because he's from Africa. Everyone said, oh no, it's because he's from Africa. But when Yaya said this particular one, people are like, wait a second. This same Yaya Toure is now saying, we Africans don't respect him and people who, um, are doing very well on the continent. Please, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is from Africa. He's a Gabonese international. He played at the African Cup of Nations. He's an African. Yaya Toure is saying Africans don't respect. I understand his, his, his own concerns. I do understand Yaya's concern. He's the only African on the um, Ballon d'Or list for, um, for the World Footballer of the Year. He's also the only African on the fifth pro list for the best um, talent in the world. I understand, but its timing is just wrong, and his utterances and the choice of words are unbelievable. It sounds like a sour loser, someone who doesn't really um who is just an ungracious man who feels the world revolves around the ayature. The only problem Yayature has is Yayature. He doesn't know what to say and when to say it, and he doesn't know the right words to say. He's really got on several nerves. Right? I beg your pardon. People are not happy with his utterances. People are saying, then Yaya Touré should have returned the previous four hours he has won, he had won, and then get 2015 instead.
1: <laughs> he it reminds me a little bit of when Kanye West told uh, Taylor Swift uh, that Beyoncé <laughs> had the best album. And so that means Taylor Swift is is Obama Yang in this situation. What did he uh, What did he say? What was his reaction to this?
6: Well, you see, Pierre Emerick Obama Yang is a young chap who is very respectful, humble. He lost. Um, a previous award with the BBC African footballer of the year award, you know, to, to Yaya Toure. But guess what? It didn't even, it didn't even come out to complain or lament. He said, well, um, he would always come back after hearing this one people try to ask him in gabon when he returned to an heroic welcome by his country but you know what the young man just said he wants to focus on the achievement he has done because he becomes the first gabonese to win this award he wants to focus only on the positives that's a very smart man he's not talking and losing his head over the fact that someone is um, trying to disrespect his achievement just it's not just that that is talking you know, disappointedly, we've seen Andrea Yu come out, too, the man who finished um, in third place, coming out to say, oh, no, um, I support Yaya Toure. Um, no, Yaya Toure should have won or I should have won because um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang only had a fantastic season in um, in, in, in the German Bundesliga. It's it's a shame and it's disappointing to hear people who have achieved so much come out to actually disrespect Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I like his attitude. I like the fact that he stayed um, celebrating his success. He's gone back to his club, Borussia Dortmund. Everyone is celebrating with him. He can't focus on a man like Yaya who is just ranting and complaining that the world is against him.
7: Uh, it's not
3: the first time he has made these sort of complaints. You alluded to it earlier on. He always feels like he doesn't get enough respect in the Premier League. He feels that the journalists... I, I don't know why... I don't know what his theory is, but he certainly feels as though that they are against him and that he takes too much criticism when Man City don't play well. There was the famous birthday incident when his own club apparently didn't support him as much as they should have by maybe shaking his hand or giving him a cake or a token of their appreciation for him on his birthday. I'm amazed that a guy of his Standards of his, with his achievements in the game, he's won. He's four-time African Player of the Year, African Cup of Nations champion. He's won leagues, for, Champions League, as well. won the Champions League. Played for two of the biggest yeah. teams in the world uh, when both of them were at probably at their height in in a lot of ways, and yet he doesn't seem to have a great self-confidence. It seems like he's lacking something there.
6: Absolutely. And I think um I've been a big supporter of Yaya Toure on Twitter, everywhere. People criticize him. I just say, listen, Yaya can be the goalkeeper for City. He can be the defender, midfielder and the, and the striker for Man City. People need to cut him, you know, some slack and just let him do his thing. Yaya Toure has been on and off, and I understand that. But then again, like you've pointed out, you've read out all his achievements. He's won everything. I don't know why a man like that, big, huge a powerhouse in midfield would lack self-confidence in his own ability. You've done everything. I mean, you can't come out to come and show a lot of people that you're just a, a petulant and a, a, I mean, a, you're being childish at this age. you just a crying big baby, in my opinion. And I thought I don't think it really reflects the the the, the I mean the, the the graceful success we've seen on the pitch. That's Jaya He comes out as someone who lacks more than just self-confidence. I think it lacks the right people to speak to. I think it lacks the right um, upbringing to actually show that look. There are moments when people will appreciate you and there are moments when people will bring you down. People will always criticize you whether you like it or not. It's the way the world is. And for an African, someone who's played in Belgium, he's played in Denmark, I'm sorry, he's played in Ukraine, he's played in France, he's played in Spain, and now he's in England. I think he must have gotten a lot of experience in his travels as well as in his travels across Europe to understand that, look... The world is the way it is, and people should only remember you for all the achievements you've done on the field and not some of the things you've done off it. The city, um, the cake. People still really call him about that. He has an agent who doesn't, who doesn't really, um, speak positively about him in my opinion because if he comes out and starts um, taking the job at the man, a previous manager and doing all of this he's not doing Yaya a favour he's only making him worse off in front of the media and everyone and I don't think um, in my years of covering African football spanning almost 15 years I've seen I've come across a man as successful as Yaya Toure at the same time self-destruct like Yaya Toure
3: Ok brilliant stuff Oliver Shane good to
6: talk to you again thank you No problem guys
3: Shane 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 with the kick out
6: the 42 year old goalkeeper
3: it out from goal. Here he comes.
2: He topped it. he's He's 50 yards out from goal.
6: Bought the for us coming.
2: All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real dude gonna hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Pam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger came out of here. And the whoa, 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 whoa,
3: whoa, whoa, Leave a pretty girl sad reputation Start a fight club brad reputation I asked the question Does anybody deserve to lose at the LRX Club final? Give me a text t- t- if you know the answer It'll be heartbreak on either side Imagine being 8 up Imagine cutting 8 down Bitch Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire A sub goalie, two castle Bar men and a British man I can't see Curran continuing It could be his last race on the board. I like your Yaya-Kanye yeah, yeah, West comparison, Ken. I'm going to compare him to Cristiano Ronaldo in his need for constant affirmation. Although with Ronaldo, he seems to turn that into a positive. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that he's he's forever chasing this, in his case, this World Football of the Year Ballon d'Or prize. Now, we shouldn't be... I'm talking about Yaya Torre here as though he's... Maybe s- Yaya does that as well. Somebody maybe. who hasn't achieved uh, great things in the game, which he actually has. But it's just, I'm just amazed that that hasn't buttressed him in any way against... Well, oh, just against criticism, he seems to take everything as a well personal.
1: But it makes no difference. I mean, if you've got that mentality, then it's never going to—it's not not really going to change, is it? Like, I mean, it's kind of the story that you always—it's a familiar type of a story, you know. Mm-hmm. Ambition is like its own curse. I mean, you might try—it's the kind of the thing that will drive you to succeed and to succeed, but it will never be enough for you because your ambition is essentially a way of looking at the world and says, I want to be better than I am. So however it is that you are, you're never quite good enough for yourself. So maybe it doesn't make any difference to the underlying... I mean, I don't know if if Yaya Toure is motivated by individual awards. I mean, Ronaldo definitely is. Um,
5: Well, I I would suggest that since he was going for five of these in a row, this was was due to be his fifth one in a row. I think it's fair to assume that... uh, he will never be satisfied uh, that the the uh, definition of ambition, which you just gave there, yeah. just kind of uh, fit the bill for all yeah, yeah there. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, and, and in terms of sensitivity to criticism, you know, uh, I guess it's not it's not really, either you are or you're not like, uh, I don't know necessarily if all the, maybe all these achievements make you even more sensitive to criticism. How dare you criticise me? Don't you realise that you were speaking to the great, you know, Owen McDowell, or whoever. Maybe when
3: you're a particular type of player, as he is, that's a guy who is capable, even in a really bad game, a game in which he's playing poorly. What was a match recently where he decided just to play for the last 20 minutes. I forget, I forget. Arsenal. It was Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> he just looks like the best player in the world. I know. But all you're getting then is abuse for not doing it for at least some of the... Why couldn't you have done that minutes? for 10 more minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: seriously. Um, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that is, that is a problem. But, I mean, he's already, you know, if he... I mean, he's definitely one of the best players in the league, has been for like four or five years. Does he get the recognition? Maybe not, really.
3: Nice photo going around today of the Burnt Ash school football team, 1957 to 1958, with a young David Bowie in the middle row there, adopting the traditional footballer's arms-crossed pose. Looks like he's ready to go out and do, do a bit of damage in the football fields, and there have been loads of tributes to Bowie from people in the sports world, led by Arsene Wenger, who reckons Bowie's message... For people to be themselves was a huge thing for his own, for w- Wenger's own generation. Although not everybody was feeling the love today, Ken. Uh,
1: yeah, Matthew on, uh I have to say, I tweeted, wasn't a huge fan of David Bowie. I have odd music tastes, smiley face. But can't deny he touched so many lives with his talent. Hashtag RIP David Bowie. <laughs> 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 uh, but he's being honest. Well, no, no one's pretending he's a super fan if he's not. Yeah, but honesty is not always uh, is not always necessarily the In right. In this case,
5: thing. silence is the correct. Yeah, is the correct uh, form. People, of, I think, people just keep it to feel, yourself.
3: I think people, when somebody dies, or people, a lot of people seem to feel they have to say something, regardless of whether they felt any connection to that person or not. And that he, certainly seems to be the case here. It's oh, I better say something. Everybody else is on Twitter
5: talking he, about this. He legend. has nothing to say about David Bowie. Apart and from yes, the fact that he,
1: wasn't he didn't a huge really like fan. him. Yeah, not a huge fan. I mean, think think how, you know, Matt. You know, in in, a, in hopefully many decades, how you might feel if somebody was to tweet, "Wasn't a huge fan of Matt Letitier. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just there's there's actually no need for it. It falls into the category of like uh, compulsive revelation of maybe uh, Sean champagne. Telling everybody he was reading his magazine story about interviewing El Chapo, mm-hmm. the world's most wanted drug lord, that at one point he farted in front of him.
5: Just as, as they were saying goodbye to each other.
1: Uh, Sean Penn rattled out a little what he described as traveler's flatulence. And such was the class of El Chapo mm-hmm. that he didn't say a thing about it. They you just know, walked away. They just walked away from this this the slowly spreading odour. And El Chapo was such a gentleman, he didn't say anything about it.
5: You can see actually in it, like in ten years' time or maybe less, when El Chapo finally does shuffle off this mortal coil, Sean Penn will tweet that that exact anecdote. That's yeah. the class of the man.
1: That was that was mm-hmm. that was the class. Of the That's
5: man. the sort of guy you're dealing with. I
1: mean, that just seemed to me to be to fall into the category of too much information. Didn't need to. You didn't need to put that in. It's color, though, Sean.
3: Is that a Is, that a is that exactly what all feature interviewers are looking for?
1: There's color and there's color. Mm. That to me would be an irrelevant detail, which doesn't belong right. in the narrative, because you gotta you gotta remember that all of us are on the clock here, own all of us are on the clock the sands of time are running out for all of us do we need to hear about this well I mean I've just been talking about it for the last three minutes so and actually you know
5: the more you think about it the image of him deep in the jungle after 12 hours of travelling to meet this man and then just as he says goodbye I mean actually the more I compare to it actually it is a brilliant piece of Gonzo journalism
3: <laughs> the sands of time the sands of time have run out on this podcast gentlemen thanks Ciarán
5: thank you all thank you again take thanks you very on. much take Ken. You
3: do have a listen to the football podcast lots of goal descriptions and match reports in that one <laughs> in the meantime take care thanks. Oh, thanks again I leaned back on my
2: radio oh, oh, some cat was laying down some rock and roll the cell. then the loud sound it seemed to fight, fight. came back like a slow voice on the wave of fight fight Star-man waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he's not